0: A lot of people are like, please, do I have to like think about making conversation as well as everything else? <laughs> I know I know you're hearing that from other people. And, and I would say, yes, you do. My, my perspective on this is that making conversation is the oldest tool we have that isn't deadly. You'll likely survive a conversation. And, um, and you can likely commit to a conversation, even with somebody who you don't like or you're, you're, you're concerned about for a little bit. And there's a lot of different ways that I, I talk about that you can do that.
1: Welcome to the Wonder Podcast. This is your host, CCB, and today we're going to have a conversation about making conversation. We're going to be talking with Fred Dust, who's the author of the new book, Making Conversation, and we're going to have Fred explain who he is to us so that you will get the richness of his story directly from him. Fred, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks CCB. I really appreciate it. And I, I love that you use your initials. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. I, my, my mom, my mom had a stroke when I was 24 and she was aphasic for the rest of her life and she could never explain to people what I did for a living. And so, so when she would introduce me to people, she would just be like, this is my son, he's gay. That's like the, only, that was the thing that she could actually like it out. And I was like, that's okay. Like if, the, if, the, if, that's the one thing they know about me, that's not- good. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> But um, actually, I'm a, a, a kind of sort of lifetime creative and lifetime, lifetime activist, which are the two things I've really been thinking about, which is like social change and and how to, how to kind of like move society to, to a better place and also kind of how to think about creativity. And I've, I've done everything. I, I studied theater for a while. I studied um, art history. I was a, I was a fine artist, went back to school for architecture, worked for, um, I don't know, 18 years, 19 years at the, at the design firm where I was a global managing partner at the end, IDEO. Um, and then decided I wanted to write a book, which I thought was the most creative thing you could ever do, and I would never be able to make that happen. And so I quit IDEO and two days later, my book sold, um, and I went to HarperCollins, and and it, it the rest is not actually history yet. It's just it's just
1: like, you making history along with yeah. your conversation.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so the um, the. As placemakers, as an organization that is um, that is devoted to making place and and the impact that clearly recognizing the impact that place has on the human experience, I wondered if you would spend a little bit of time about talking uh, talking about the architecture slash moving into IDO um, adventures and yeah. how that
0: fits in. It's so funny. So I like I w- I had gr- I was just just to be really honest, I didn't quite graduate grad school because I got a job and like I was like I had one more credit and my thesis advisor um wanted to hire me to do all of the workplace all, all workplaces and retail um because he he did mostly housing and so I was like oh, I, I need money I'm, I'm gonna get a job and I was like oh my god I remember I was making not that much and I was like oh my god it's a salary and there's like health care and oh my god um but uh I, I lasted about nine months um, before I, I, I even as I was graduating, I was like, there's this place called IDEO. I think I'm going to try to go work there. And everyone's like, you're not going get to get into IDEO. Nobody gets into IDEO. Um, and, and I basically, I remember my boyfriend and I were going to London. He was a graphic designer. He'd been trying to get into IDEO for, I don't know, gazillion years. And then I was like, I'm just going to send my, my portfolio in and say, hey, you guys should hire an architect. Because like at that point, there weren't, there weren't any architects at, at, at IDEO. And I got a call came out from London got a call. They were like, okay, come in, came in, did a review in the San Francisco office with the whole office. Like the whole office just came around to look at my portfolio and got hired. And then gradually what I did, I, I, I ran some space projects. There was one that they, they were doing for Stanford. Um, but then I actually built a practice that was called um, smart space. And the premise, and I think this will solely really resonate um, with you is that was that at that point, all of the money in companies were in marketing. Um, and so I really felt like it's like, if you were gonna kind of get the freedom and the, and, and the ability to do work, we should be working with marketing and then kind of like help their design teams kind of like expand the thinking about what they would do. And so we, we, that's how I ended up doing all work with Banana Republic, um, uh, you know, just only uh, gap kids, like you name it, um, Marriott was a client for years, all kinds of hospitality. Um, but what's interesting though, is at some point I was like, well, I can't tell the story of this to the world because people don't know IDEO for doing space and it ultimately is becoming service design and other things, as you would imagine. And so I was like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do a pro bono project for a hospital because everyone's been in a hospital. And that's how we'll tell the story of how IDEO can actually innovate in the realm of space. And so did that, that got a cover story in Metropolis. Um, Yet another hospital project we did became the baseline feature. If you remember the um, the Business Week, I think it was the article that was like that we had. The, where idea was on the like cover of it, and but the story in there is about a hospital project that we did um, through Smart Space. And so, to, in order to translate, I felt like we really needed to kind of do something that everybody knew um, and under and understood. I, one thing I thought I would just kind of say to your people is, um, I've been thinking a lot about space recently, and I have a chapter about, about it in the book. And I, I'm writing a piece. I am now write for Medium in multiple different magazines, and I'm writing a piece right now about why buildings still matter um, because I very much believe they do. I think we should not let go of that. I think um, they actually probably matter more than ever. Um, and so uh, there, there's places where I, I was like, yep, let's just get rid of the building where I'm like, nope, we're, we're holding tight to the building because the building is really, it's, it's gonna be needed when we kind of like, when we, when we emerge from this. So I know it can feel... A bit hard, especially as we're like in the year anniversary of 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 of, of this kind of pandemic. But I just let me just tell you that spaces matter more than ever. I, Carolyn, you're you're in the office. Tell me how that feels.
1: I'm in the office with very very few people. I will tell you, um, and I know that my organization is very concerned about how we feel and and how we are um, uh, our safety and our comfort. And I know what the protocols are. We have been spending a lot of time uh focusing on that. So that um I feel like, you know, it I just left. I feel like I, you know, it's it's home. It really is. Um, but it feels odd that the people aren't here, you know, that we don't yeah. that. Um so that kind of gets gets you to that conversation around um the the place making and and how does connection and place. You know, place serves as the the um, the space for connection for right. many activities, and we've been talking a lot about design for connection? How do we, and we had, you know, prior to COVID, we were thinking, you know, lots of other types of, you know, but still, you know, where does collaboration take place? Where's creativity and innovation housed? How do we support, you know, the, we work with major uh, healthcare systems and we work with major universities. So where does healing and learning and all of that take place? It takes place in place, in space. Yeah. Clearly they, they, you know, they maintain this, this enormous importance. However, it is a giant shift that's taking place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, as you know, like these kinds of transitions are, are the moments for ultimate, you know, creativity. It's time to kind of like really dial it up and, and, and think, and think really seriously about the, about the ways you can actually, um, you, you, you can make that happen. Like, like amazing things can happen from this, but I feel like, um uh, yeah, I mean, connection. And first of all, again, you can still go for walks with people, you can still kind of like connect in, in, in safe ways, you know, through space. But one of the things that I write about and think about a lot is that space, and, and you. I'm sure you're aware of this, space is a mnemonic. So it's, it's our our memories are made, one of the things that, they, that memories are made from are things like our other senses. Um, but often it's why if I say to you like, where were you on 9-11, you'll remember like, kind of like um, almost immediately, or probably you will. Um, and and that's a really interesting thing because the, um, those mnemonics can be good or they can be bad. I talk about this thing. I was just, I was on, I do a science um, conversation every Friday um, on Clubhouse, and I was just doing one on script spotting, which is getting good at spotting the implicit scripts that are established in a workplace, in a home, in a conversation, in an agenda, um, in, any, in anything. And, and there, you need to get really good at it because if you don't spot the script, you, you end up living your life by that script. It's one of the reasons why you and I talked about the news hook this morning, which is just that the news hook is, is unconsciously setting the script of our week. And we need to like, make sure we don't let that happen. Right. It's like, we, we, we need to own our script, not, not have the New York times tell us what, what we should be thinking about. Um, and so I, all, all that's to say that it's like spaces still matter. Like it's like, um, it's, you know, I'm seeing in your, in your office and it, it makes me really happy to see it, see an office. Like, it's like, and um, in other times right now we're traveling around, but you would see us in our, my office in Brooklyn or, and it's like, and, and those spaces still tell stories about us in, in really remarkable ways. And so um, I just I just think that there's like, there's such power, even in the in the evocativeness of just seeing a space um, and the kind of connections it can have. That, 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 that.
1: So, you know, something that has been coming up a lot and it will get, uh, it will take us back to your conversation in some ways, but the, the, I, the, the need for choice and the need for control uh, are, are gigantic drivers in how spaces work, especially within working environments. Right. Uh, and especially even more so today with uh, with post-COVID concerns. Right. So I want to have the choice to, you know, be around the, the people and be in, in a place that makes me feel safe. I want the control over, you know, the choices that I can make. Uh, during the day to move throughout the space so yeah. there's there's if choice and control are so important you know in our lives in space they're just as important in our conversations that's right that's I would right. love to choose the people that I speak with on a regular basis I would love to have some control over uh over my message so that it is clearly heard so get you into that's the right this amount of what you've been talking about
0: I I think that's right. And, you know, one of the things that actually, um, so just interestingly, um, before I, I I don't, I don't really do that much consulting anymore, but before the pandemic, um, a museum that I'd worked with for a long time was like, basically like, you promised that you would do our strategy for us. Um, so you're going to do our strategy for us, whether or not you're with audio or not. And so I, um, I pulled together this kind of team that I have, I have like this kind of ragtag team that goes from like five to 18, depending on the, on the day. And, um, and we did the strategy for this museum. And interestingly, before the pandemic, I did all the analysis myself. So I did, I did a series of interviews, kind of pulled stuff together. I have a very simple premise on how I actually get to um, to get understanding why people are in the institutions and what the institution stands for, which I'm happy to talk about. It's really, it's a fun little project and um, process. But um, one of the big themes I had was safety because it's like in a cultural institution that's buffeted by issues of race and inclusion. And this, so this was actually, again, this was way before, 14 months ago. Um, a, a safety really becomes a kind of serious concern in many, many ways, especially when a group an organization had just gone through unionization. And so um, we, as we got into the pandemic, they, they were like, not a time for strategic planning. And then they were like, oh, yeah, it is time for strategic planning. And what's interesting is that we picked up the document that I had given them and everything remained the same. Like it was the same topics it was it was safety, it was connection, it was feeling like people could actually own their destiny and that they were making the conversations about the strategy together as a collective and so it really um it it didn't change that much, which I think is kind of fascinating i I, I think it's easy in this moment to say, "Oh, safety matters now. safety always mattered. It's always a critical part of what what our spaces and and, and our constructs need to do so what I'll say here is a lot of people are like, "Please, do I have to like think about making conversation as well as everything else?" <laughs> I know, I know you're hearing that from other people, and and I would say, yes, you do. My my perspective on this is that making conversation is the oldest tool we have that isn't deadly. You'll likely survive a conversation, and um, and you can likely commit to a conversation even with somebody who you don't like or you're you're, you're concerned about for a little bit. And there's a lot of different ways that I, I talk about that you can do that. And I'm like sometimes, um. I'll just say, like, it, just do something with somebody. If you, can't, if you can't talk, like, sew with somebody or cook with somebody or play golf with somebody or, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to do. And that is a form of communing and connection, it is in fact a conversation. And um, so the reason why I think it's important to get really creative about the conversations you have is that once you do, you start to realize, oh, they don't have to be the way I think all conversations are. It's not like you and I sitting in a room face-to-face kind of like just having this conversation. In fact, like, no, we can, um, we can really, uh, we, we, we can take control in a really interesting way.
1: So something that you just uh, made me think about there was that conversation that we had earlier about um, moving from Christopher Alexander pattern language and the <clears throat> and the collective conversation to sherry Turkle you know, and reclaiming conversation because technology has moved us so far away from this more uh physical intimate kind of conversation
0: yeah, no, and it's funny it's like um sherry and I are. Uh, I mean, we're we're friends when we're together. Like it's like we like like we, we whenever we see each other, it's like it's like it's a communal communing of spirits. Um, and and Christopher Alexander is why I went to Berkeley though, and he he was gone I think by the time I actually went there. Um, and they're 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 both kind of really really um, critical players in my thinking um when i when i sent the book to sherry to do the blurb which i didn't know if she would do but she she did um she actually put down her book for um she was writing a book and, and she just read my book in a in a day and she's like we are in spiritual communion even though you might think is because i was worried she'd be like because in the book, I say, this is not technology's fault, really. I mean, there's a role that television played, but it's like, but the reality is, um, but for some people right now who are quite isolated, television is like the only thing that's kind of keeping them going, right? So, um, so but it, it really, um, what I would say is it's our, our reliance on the news hook that really kind of like throw, throws us off. And Sherry was like, she was like, we are right. I'm right there with you. I, I'm it's like, it's, it's, I, I'm, I, cause, cause I think a lot of us are connecting through technologies in ways that are really important and intimate right now. And there
1: has been a huge conversation amongst uh, co-workers and friends about that. Um, there's a digital intimacy, which is very, it's different, but there, it, it yeah. has, uh, we have morphed it to be, uh, to support our needs at this
0: moment in time.
1: they really, it, it, I, I'm fascinated by that.
0: Yeah, well, and it's, and so I was forced because like, I just, so you know, a little, little backstory because I read below the headlines. Um, I, I was like in January last year, I was like, oh, we're gonna have a pandemic. And I was, and so I went to my publisher and I was like, we're gonna have a pandemic. Let's push this from our April pub date to, uh, um, to next, next year to the December pub date. And um, she was like, you're crazy. Now, by the way, she's like, she calls me and she's like, what's next?
1: <laughs> <And I'm>
0: like <laughs> what McKinsey, when I did the interview with McKinsey, they're like, and, and you're not psychic, right? And I'm like, pretty sure. <laughs> it's like, but what I would say is that I'm, I, I find that I'm like, through having so many conversations um, and making conversations with so many different kinds of people, everyone from like the wait staff, like at the outdoor restaurant that I that I eat at here, we're, in, we're, in, we're outside Atlanta right now, to you know, whoever, like the, the the people who are, I feel like you, you begin to feel the pulse of what's happening in a deeper way. And so I really would say like making conversation is a form of building a sixth sense in essence, um, where you kind of like, you begin to kind of feel the kind of the next wave of what's coming, you know, David Kelly, who's still one of my great mentors, you know, when when he, I think, I think when he read the book, he said something like, you know, you're always like three years ahead of everybody, or, or it's like, you're always right on time, which means that you have to be three years ahead. And I was like, very complimented by that, but it's kind of true. Like you have to really be way ahead of things to kind of figure out what's, what's going to happen. And I got distracted. So I was telling you about why.
1: Um, uh, we were talking about um, the technology and she were
0: And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh, All right. So in, in the middle, in the middle of March, actually, right? like. Almost to the date today, like to the to the date today, I, I actually keep a journal. I had fallen down the stairs at my farm and thought I'd broken my back. That wasn't fun. And then I, I wrote um, a short chapter on how to have the hardest conversations of your life over Zoom during a pandemic, um, because because my publisher was like, "Got to do this. We have only have room for four pages." And I was like, "Fine." And so I, I wrote it. And we've been my teams have been working with those same four principles from the beginning. And there there are things like change the rules. All of them. This is this is not this is not normal life. You can change everything. Um, uh, think about asynchronous. Not all communications have to be synchronous. Like I, like when I was writing, I had, a, I had a writing coach who he would be in the Google Doc, and like it was as though we were in conversation with each other. Like he, he'd be like, "There's something wrong with your mind," and I'd like laugh out loud. Like you know, it's like. Um, and then I'm like, show yourself, like, or or, or design the human in, you know. So um, it's like, uh, this is actually not this is not my my background. It's well, it's it's a, it's a hotel, but but it's like I'm always like there. And like I'll give a lecture to like Berlin, say, and um, and my, I'll have my husband come in and say, you know, it's like ich bin and i and I in Berliner or something like that. You know, it's like just something kind of kind of funny because we really need to see that. And I I think Kellen, I wonder if you're seeing this. I'm seeing a lot of. People in the workplace are basically saying, "Oh, I'm seeing people in ways I hadn't seen them before because I'm seeing them in their home context. I'm seeing my CEO in a different way. I'm seeing my staff in a different way." Which I is it really
1: creates for- that intimacy, that that unusual we we know more things about each other than we ever have. Yeah. But but to your point, um, people that intentionally converse and intentionally collect information on a regular basis have are have so much richer uh, knowledge of the place of the people i think about my my um, my mother's older sister who was my favorite aunt on the planet uh, walked every day uh, throughout Zosolito, and she would say hello to every person she passed and she yeah. knew everything that was going on everything and she yeah. was a retired school teacher who lived up on the hill you know and was just sitting there putting around but for that you know hour and 45 minutes she was enormously connected and yeah. She probably understood, you know, what was below the headlines.
0: That's exactly right. You know, and it's funny. So first of all, just because like you said it, um, we have um, intention, intentions, the game is going to come out. So it's basically a gamified way of having hard conversations. Um, And we're we're, we're getting it out because we want to have it as people start to think about what it means to go back into the workplaces or things like that. So it'll, it's, it'll be will be launched at the end of this week. So um, so, check, so check out intentions, the game.com. Um, we're just getting the, the, the handle right now. And, um, but, but yes, I mean, you're, you're really describing my mother in, in essence, like which, which is that she was, um, before she had a stroke, she was kind of like, she was the kind of person that everybody would come up to and they would, they would tell her a story and she would listen with kind of curiosity and engagement and kind of creatively. And even after her stroke and being aphasic, which just makes it very hard to listen, she still did that. She would like wheel around the small town that in in Washington on the coast, and she would like she knew everybody and it's like and everybody knew her right right to the end so she died about a year ago um and uh a year ago a little bit before and i so i was actually in washington um uh hospices and and uh and and elder care facilities during the the beginning of this pandemic and um, but what's interesting is even as she was dying people i could hear people in her in her hallway who he would yell out to her and be like, "Are you okay, June?" and like we're here for you June and it's, it was like it was this very sweet thing and and even for me when she was deep in a coma like at, at this point, like I, I just said to everybody, I was like, everybody leave like just leave, let me be here for a moment And I, I sat with my mom and I was like I was like, listen, um, if you go tonight, We'll we'll make sure you come home, and we'll scatter our, our, your ashes with with my brother because my brother my younger brother also died, and um, and I called them the next morning. They're like, nope, she she's still alive. And I was I was like, and then they were like, oh wait, no, we're wrong. She she died at three a.m. in the morning. And I was like, I knew that was going to happen. So it's like, so it, it's like you have these conversations that you know yeah. are going to help kind of move people through their through what they need to move through, and that's that's our that's our jobs is to help people move along.
1: Okay, so. Um tell me us just a little bit more about um the 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 creative nature of the conversation and how you helped break that down so that so that it's not as difficult as everyone might think oh dear lord i have to make a conversation
0: <laughs> yeah and what's what's funny about it is like there's there's seven c's that's just because it's like it's a book and publishers want seven c's um and i will tell you that when i sold the book um i sat down with my publisher and they were like They're like, we're not going to touch anything, anything you want, except for you wrote a proposal that's about how we lost conversation in the world. And we need one that's relentlessly optimistic. And I was like, that's a different book. And they're like, yeah, we know, but it's the book we need. Um, and so it's like so <laughs> we can make some adjustments. No. Yeah, exa- exactly. But so there there's seven C's and and but I'm not they don't they're not meant as a rigid methodology. Like it's not like you have to follow them. They're meant as an approach. It's a way to inspire you to think about what makes you creative in a conversation or when you feel or how you know things kind of work. And so um, there's commitment. Creative listening, clarity. Um, uh, there's a, I, I can't remember all of them. So I don't have the book with me. But oh,
1: there's context and constraints and change.
0: <laughs> yeah, context, constraints, change. Change is just like my favorite. And then the final one is create, um, um, which is like. And if you if you do them all, I promise you there's a cure. Because um, at, at the at the end of the book, there is a cure. Um, and uh, I, I I know that because I, I I've been cured. But um, let me tell you about one little story that I talk. So I, I talk about creative listening, and this is my kind of my my favorite piece of the book, which is that. Um, you know, everyone's like, you got to talk about storytelling. You got to talk about storytelling. And I didn't want to talk about storytelling. And the reason why is because I was like, if you say storytelling or story, people are like, oh, that's for this person who's who can tell a story. That's not for me. Um, And so the combination of like thinking about how to kind of tell the perfect story, not call it a story, and also having a friend who basically would start stories like at 6 p.m. and wouldn't be done till 11. And she's the kind of person where if you interrupted, she was like, you're interrupting my story. And I'd be like, okay, I'm writing this for her. Um, in the end, she's not, she's not a friend anymore. But it's like- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I was just like, not so much. You, you, can't, you can't figure this out. Um, and by the way, that's perfectly, like one of the things I talk about is like, if you can't commit to someone, don't do it. Like you don't have to join the conversation if you can't commit to them. Like only commit to them if you feel like they're there, they're there and they're going to be as committed to you. So the whole, for, whole mission of the first chapter is commit or don't.
1: Or don't, and I think, is that such great permission to have or to give to people to say, and, and be very clear about that. Wait, I am not ready to have this conversation or this is not the right, no, not the right conversation
0: for me. Thank you so much. Right, and I, as I talk about in the book and in, in a lot of my kind of um, lectures and podcasts, at the very least, that's going to give you more time, which is like, which, yeah, which exactly. Oh my gosh, what am I thinking? Anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's, it's totally what we need. So it's like so that's that's one lesson, which is like it's like commit or don't. And and don't be the person who's like, oh, but they need me there. They need a naysayer. It's like, it's like maybe not. Like maybe maybe it's like if they've got people who are all like totally aligned, they'll, they'll go along back. Give away back to your very verbose. Right. Rant. Okay. <laughs> there's
1: the tw- wait, there's that little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so um in the book, there's a there's a that's about a two page section that's called uh, illuminations. And illuminations were these little they're little kind of um, sketches or little sentences or little things that are alongside the medieval manuscript. They'd be things like flowers or sometimes they'd be like help. I'm locked in a monastery. You know, it's like all kinds of different things that would be on the in the illuminations. And they're kind of meant to kind of like give you insight into the stories or distract you in an interesting way. And so my great grandmother was really good at storytelling. Um, and I'll tell you like the, my favorite story that she she ever told me, which is that, um, she was a steel worker, um, at night. So she basically, she was in one of the women who went to the steel mills in World War II, but she liked it so much that she was like, I don't want to leave. So she stayed well into the seventies. Um, and, uh, and so she was a steel worker by night and a farmer by day, very tired <laughs> it's like, and and yeah. you know, had, had children had like, uh, had to take care of the farm, whatever. And, um, she talked to her, we would sit every night and she told me the story once about how she was walking so tired one morning up to the farm and she was like, just let me die now, I'm ready. And um, gradually out of the blue came this blue figure that came down closer and closer and closer. And it was sexy Jesus and he winked at her and she had the power to go on. He didn't take her, he, he, he just winked at her. And so that I think is a perfect story. It's like 20 seconds. It reveals something about your values. She, you know that she's a, her work ethic. You know that she was a spiritual woman. You know that, like, you know, like that she was, she, she, she would succumb to sexy Jesus and had to be sexy. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, we like, call them sexy Jesus. She like, call them sexy Jesus. Oh, <laughs> so it's, it's like, and because um, you always need a sexy Jesus in, in your life. And then it's um, what I love, and this is actually what I used to do work a lot with IDEO.org on is like, it's, it ends with the insight. Oh, here's the twist. Here's here's the thing that I learned, and it doesn't tell you what happened afterwards. So you're gonna show up the next day to the swing to hear what that story what, 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 what happens next. Um, yeah, exactly. Cliffhanger. Yeah, exactly. Cliffhanger, like. And so, really work on that. I really, I really think it's like it's like as as designers, sometimes we want to tell all of our process. Um, and what we really want to do is be like, let's reveal a little insight and then get people excited and then engage in what they want to do next. And so that's a, um, if you're, if you do one thing, I think that's one thing that you you might practice is kind of practice illuminations. Um, You don't even have to read the book for that. There's a, um, there's a a, a thing that's coming out.
1: Oh, you make me laugh. Okay. Well, it's the end of our time together, Fred. So I'm (laughs) going to say, don't listen to what he just said, get the book, read it, because I think it's incredibly important for most of us in the world today. And we have been inordinately, Charmed by our conversation. That's the royal we <laughs> <laughs> with Brad Dusk. And we're going to leave it on that note of illumination and with a twist. Thank you so very much.
0: Thank you.